Hello, everyone. I'm joined today by our speaker, Paul Greenberg, and our U.S. Head of Sales, Andy Zambito. I'll let the gentlemen introduce themselves. We're so pleased to have each of them on today as we interview Paul Greenberg. Uh, well, hi. Thank you for having me. I'm Andy Zambito. I'm the Chief Sales Officer for the Americas at Creatio. And I'm Paul Greenberg. I'm the um, Managing Principal of the 56 Group LLC and also the author of CRM at the Speed of Light. And I've known Creatio since 2011, so I'm really happy to be here today. Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you so much again for joining us today. Uh, we're, we're very excited to get your take on the changing face of business transformation in our new normal. Uh, 2020 has been a year of surprises and unexpected circumstances. Uh, and it's important for us to talk about new business transformation needs and business expectations. Uh, and we're all very much looking forward uh, to doing this with an industry veteran who has worked firsthand with many of the world's great enterprises. Uh, so maybe I can kick things off with a question of, you know, maybe you could share your perspective on how uh, digital transformation is reshaping businesses worldwide, uh, how that'll continue to reshape. And, and also, if you might, you know, do you feel that COVID-19 has emphasized the need for companies to stay ahead of the uh, innovation curve? So, I mean, this might surprise you a little. I mean, the thing is, for years and prior to COVID-19, um, digital transformation has been at least on the lips of a lot of companies, a lot of people, but it's mostly been on the lips of a lot of companies, a lot of people. There hasn't really been as much action as you would assume there has been. What's become really critical is that people have actually begun to understand, and I'm using that very carefully and you'll understand why in a second, have begun to understand that it's, it's become a mission critical part of doing business as opposed to something we need to do because everyone else is doing it or something we need to do because it's the buzzword of the minute or something we need to do for the purposes of just say improved efficiencies at the workplace or something like that, right? right. What's actually happened due to, especially due to the pandemic has been a massive acceleration of that requirement for digital transformation. It's gone from, I'll call it more than nice to have, but less than a requirement to a full-blown requirement. However, and this is the big however, because if you look at every, almost all of the extant literature now, and even from some of my fellow analysts, because I'm also an industry analyst, among other things I do, um, and from among some of the, let's say, thought leaders in the space, you'll see, well, we're now, you know, because of COVID-19, we're now on a sprint to the finish line when it comes to digital transformation. <clears throat> and honestly, no, we're not, right? <laughs> Here's the deal, right? What we're doing now, all of this that we've seen throughout the entire world, this is an increased use of digital tools. It's not digital transformation. Digital transformation means changes in business models. It means changes in, and support from a culture. Right. I mean, there's a, a number of other things that have to happen for digital transformation to actually be permanent, effective and actually what we, I hope, all want engaging for the customer as well as the employees of the company. And so we're seeing lots more use of digital tools. And what's that what that's done, importantly, is digital transformation has now become not just words on lips, but part of how companies are beginning to strategize and think. But we're not on a sprint to the finish line. We're on a sprint to the starting line for this, right? And, and right. because I'll tell you what, and this is, take this as advice coming from a mouthy New Yorker, which is pretty much what I am. Uh, you know, uh, 
if you're if you're being smart, you'll understand this is the starting line. If you're being stupid, you'll treat it as the finish line. And because right now, now that you're all using those digital tools, now that people are using them at their big enterprises, at their little companies, question becomes how to not just make the use of the tools permanent, but what does that mean for your what does it mean for your business model? Your pricing, the packages you provide, the solutions you think you had, now you no longer can provide. What does that mean for your culture? How are you going to support a culture that in likelihood, given the new normal that we're facing, is uh, going to be at least in part, significant part, remote, right? How are you going to do that, right. right? Those things that you should be thinking about, not, hey, we're using the tools, we've digitally transformed. <laughs> Well, Paul, I'm actually going to modify my next question based on on that response. Then, you know, you, we talked a lot about pace, right, and and the the belief versus the actual doing. What bottlenecks or additional challenges then do you anticipate uh, for the folks that are are looking into that rapid digital transformation in their mind, and what what will that uncover for them? You think that that's going to make that challenging? Well, this one obvious one: if you're actually doing a genuine digital transformation. You're changing, you're, you're at least modifying, if not fully changing, because not every company has to change everything. Right. You're changing your business model, right? And changing your business model means your pricing is going to change. The offerings you have will probably change. The way you, dis- the, uh, the way you get the offerings distributed will probably have to change. The way they get consumed will have to change. And then you run into the culture, right? <laughs> Meaning, right. How, and with all these changes, a lot of jobs will change and job descriptions will change, right? Who And training will have to occur. So what happens? There's costs to this that are maybe hidden to you now because it's remote and you think you're saving a fortune by not being in your office and so on and so forth. But there are costs to this which will emerge clearly once you actually get the fact that this is a fundamental transformation to how you are actually doing your business. Now, to that point, a lot of companies may make the decision we can't do that because we just can't afford it. And that's fair. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't. One of the things I hate, and I really hate this about our industry sometimes, is that we, we make everything so black and white. Like, if you don't do this, you're dead, right? And that's not true. Uh, there are, first of all, you can do this in part. Secondly, you can, sometimes you can't do it. So you try to, it may, it may mean, for example, like, Okay, as a business, you want to you want to explode. You want to just right. blow the doors off. But honestly, you can't afford to do it. So what you do is you incrementally improve over a longer period of time than you would have liked. It's still an improvement. It's still positive. You have to also accomplish the things you can accomplish, not realistically, and take reasoned risks when it comes to digital transformation. Part of this the that hidden obstacle is understanding what a reasonable risk is, okay, especially in the time now. Because I will tell you this, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people take into account. The CDC did this study about, um, I guess it was about the beginning of this year as COVID was starting to hit, but it it might have been a little actually even before that, but it was basically on how people think and respond in crises, right? Mm -hmm. And, And there were a lot of very simple things, a lot of things that were sort of amazing that popped up. Like one was people are looking for very simple answers, number one. Number two is they will hold on as long as they can to what they believed, right? Uh, even if, okay. even in the face of something that says, 
it's no longer true. And number three is they'll often believe the first thing they hear, right? So now here's the thing. That's just a few things. But what that tells you is you're making decisions in that kind of environment across the globe. When this finally does pass, meaning vaccination will be there, we know there's going to be a new normal, next normal, a new abnormal, whatever the hell you want to call it. But uh, right, there's going to be something else, right. right? And most people seem to think it'll be a hybrid of remote and in-person in some way. But the thinking will not be the same as crisis thinking. And you have to really okay. take that into account because you're building a permanent transformation of your business or a permanent change in how you're doing it, or at least a permanent incremental evolution of your business. And you can't, you can't think only in terms of crisis. You have to think past it and well beyond it in order. To, and that's a big obstacle because most people think in the moment, right? right. And so we had, that's, I think, arguably, the psychology of it all will be the biggest obstacle, even though it's probably the one that will be least talked about. Very fair, and certainly very, I appreciate that response. And you mentioned throughout there, you know, tools and obviously technology is an enabler in all of this. How has all those things you just talked about, how has that impacted the business expectations uh, from technology? Well, it depends on what you mean by that, actually. I mean, look, ultimately, there's two things. There's the business expectations of what a technology can provide. And then there's the business expectation of what technology companies need to do. Okay, those okay. are two different things, right? Every, look, everyone now is assuming as far as technology goes, there's going to be some form. We, look, we live in the enterprise or let, let's say this. We live in the, the world of business technology, all right? That, and that's, that's not the same entirely, although it's becoming increasingly similar uh, mm -hmm. to consumer technology. From a business side, there's a number of expectations that have occurred when it comes to what a technology will support. One of them is communications being probably the biggest additional thing that they need to support. It's why companies everywhere are building integrations with Zoom. Even if a company like a Creatio, let's say, who does highly integrated sales, marketing, customer service, low code, no code, you know, they do all these really very nice things with their platform and with their solutions, communications integration becomes something that someone's looking for. It's, it's very similar, actually, to when social became uh, something that was more than just a nice, uh, like a cool yeah. thing. It became a, an actual means to communicate. So now that we're dealing with all these digital tools, like the one we're on, Zoom, or on 24, or some of these other ones, right? Um, or, and we're also dealing with events, you know, now, and that's another story. Like, what events platforms do you think? We have the companies that are producing business software, the software needs to add that extra communication player now, right? It doesn't mean it has to immediately, but it has to, over time, be prepared to handle that as part of what people expect. And they're just beginning to expect that. What they're expecting, and this is really an important thing, what they're expecting of a technology company is during this pandemic to step up to step up. And, and what that means is very simple. You're going to be judged after this is all over by what you did now as a business, especially as a business, as a business generally, but as a business technology company in particular. And if, if you're not doing things for, for not only your customer, but for the good of the good of the world, right? Um, 
people are going to remember that. You're not forgetting this. This isn't a sandbox. You know, it's not. People remember what you did for them when they needed you, right? And uh, and and what you didn't do, they remember that too. And so the expectation of business technology companies is that they're going to step up, right? And that's a different. It's not the same expectation. In the past, it was we expect you, and still expect it. We expect you to be our partner and to work with us to effectively implement your technology and make sure we get the optimal benefit from it. That's why you have customer success. That's why you have all kinds of different units at the company that handle it. Now it's also, what do you do to step up in the crisis, right? On the technology side, it's gonna be the integration of communications, right? And that, that is a key component uh, that will, if you don't have it now, it's all right, but you need to have it by the end of the crisis. Let's just say that, right? Very fair answer, and I appreciate that that perspective. So, so let me shift gears a little bit, and we'll take it down more specifically into uh, discussing transformations from the, the these high level areas. And and let me ask, what recommendations are you providing to businesses now that are in search of a, a, a vendor and technology to to automate their front office and operational processes? Maybe what are some of the specific things that you're uh, that you find most important for both organizational perspective and a product offering perspective? Well, I mean, look, ultimately, keep in mind the world that I inhabit and that really you inhabit too, which is we're in a customer facing world. That's what that's our part of the world. So obviously, right. I'm not sitting there and talking to them about the best uh, accounting systems or financial systems they should use because I don't know. Um, <laughs> when it comes to, um, you know, customer facing sales, marketing service, one thing we've noted in the course of this, of course, is that customer service has become even more important than it historically had been. You have to have some sort of way of interacting and communicating with the company so that, and, and self-service has become even equally as important. So one of the things I've been talking to a lot of companies about, a lot of the uh, practitioner side companies about is making sure that the, if in the past where I would have, I always would have said sales is probably the first thing you want to look at. I'm not only saying, I'm now saying sales and service, you need to look at simultaneously. Marketing still a little less so, um, but sales and service are the things you have to look at simultaneously now. Even if you, if you have none of that, you need to look at both, okay? Because it's not a, just a matter of what can you do to optimize your ability to close a deal, but what comes during it and after it now matters a great deal more even than it did prior to, right? The other thing which I always recommend is when you're looking at um, SFA or you know, Salesforce Automation or customer service, um, as a practitioner company, look for technologies that provide uh, the, ability, the, the, the capability to enable your, the outcomes you're looking for, not the features you need, right? The outcomes you're looking for. I said, this is outcomes based. I, I always. That, by the way, predates any of this stuff, but that's something that doesn't change, right? Ultimately, if I'm, if I'm an SFA, let's say, um, I'm looking for Salesforce automation, I wanna have talked to the technology company about my objectives and what I'm looking to do. And the technology company then needs to come back to me and say, okay, well, given that, here's kind of the solution that we can craft from our platform or from our solution set we already have, or you know, whatever form this right. particular company happens to work with, here's this, here's what we think will uh, help you enable the successful outcomes you're looking for and reach whatever objectives you're reaching. 
And then obviously, and that's where the other thing you have to look at from the standpoint of the expectations in detail uh, are the support for that technology from that company, right? And that's where not just customer success, but just as simple as help desk and customer service, right? How much, how much time, well, and especially during now, when companies are being besieged by that, that's actually a very serious question because, um, look, I get asked by, as, an, as an analyst, I get asked a lot about, well, who do you recommend to do X, right? Sure. I don't really know the answer to that. I don't know anything about the company asking me that, right? I know, oh, you're this company. I may even know their name, but how, without requirements analysis and everything else I would sit down and do, how in the world would I possibly actually know what's best? I don't. But what I can suggest and what I do suggest is a short list of companies. And, you know, many times you guys are on that. Uh, that is basically um, given your the outcomes you just described to me, these are companies that can probably handle that specifically how you'll have to talk to them. Uh, so uh, let's say without names being named, there's a uh, uh, this is sort of an example. I know of a very, very, very large deal coming down the pipe uh, by, uh, on a practitioner's side. And it requires something that, not in your universe, but, uh, but it, I literally was talking to the person who was asking for some help and said, who, who are the company we should contact to work with to get the deal off from this RFP? And ultimately, we came up with one after conversation. Now, uh, do I think they're a perfect fit? I don't, I don't know the details of the RFP, but I do know what the outcomes that they were looking for were. And this company would be a very good fit for that. That's how you think about these things, right? Which is, from my standpoint, I would, I would put you on a short list if I'm, some, I'm looking for integrated CRM and I'm, let's say, and I, I don't mean to typecast you here a little, but I am kind of, <laughs> okay. uh, right? I'm looking for the mid-market Right. And I'm looking for and I, I'm sure you can bleed to the enterprise. But if I'm being absolutely down the middle here, right, I'm looking for the mid market and I'm looking for an integrated CRM solution. You're definitely on my short list. And again, are you the perfect company for the one I'm talking to? I don't actually know that. But I do know, given the outcomes they described, that you're likely to be a very, very good candidate. And then I'll connect you and them. You guys go and figure it out. Um, but that's how to think about this now. It's outcomes, outcomes, and outcomes. Paul, Paul, thank you for that answer. You've talked a lot about uh, outcomes, and previously you talked about the need for the communication layer. Uh, can you take a moment and elaborate a little further on other functionality and capabilities that, that you see evolving because of the customer needs that you'd mentioned previously? Well, I mean, this is where actually where marketing automation kind of comes in, and I'm using the classic term deliberately here, not MarTech okay. per se, just because I think the MarTech landscape is a total mess. Uh, so here's, here's the, well, here's the story. I mean, yeah. one of the things that's occurred in this crisis has been enormous amount of new noise, like an, just an enormous amount of noise, meaning um, messages and communications that are, attacking individual people on mass. We used to say it was 3,000 a day. It's probably, and again, this is metaphorical, it's probably quadrupled since then, right? So the pro what mar marketing automation, so meaning the marketing tools we have available to us have to evolve to the point where they are 
not just providing, let's call it personalized, um, personalized offers, which is 90% of what personalization means now, but actually personalized knowledge that lead to interaction. And also, and this is the part that a lot of companies are just beginning to address on the MarTech or marketing automation side, um, is um, the ability to interact and communicate with that individual at the point that they're making that personalized effort. Uh, okay, so for example, um, if you're looking at, you're looking at, we all know, we all, everyone knows, you know, campaign campaigns, right? And campaigns are beginning to kind of, I'm not going to get into this as a whole other discussion, but campaigns are beginning to disappear as very viable things, uh, viable approaches. Right. While yet, marketers will go crazy when they hear me say that. But um, <laughs> over time, camp campaigns will begin to disappear. Let's just say that as viable approaches to communicate. Um, but assuming they're around for a while, um, you're starting to see more and more companies begin to personalize the campaign, right? And, and that, that's based on the fact that there's an enormous amount of social data available to them. All right. However, um, the problem that historically has been, and this is being overcome now by this technology specifically, is that if you look at systems of record um, and traditional systems of record, they were, they're, they're important, they're critical, but they're passive vehicles for data, meaning they pull in all this data, they create customer records, and then when you can, so to speak, or when you need to, you, you act on that up with something, whatever the analytic result you're looking for is. Now, what makes it difficult uh, is that you have to actually do that in real time as the data literally is coming in. Right? It doesn't mean you have to do it on that particular customer, but have to do it as data is actually flowing into a system of record and probably another name. I'm not talking about CDPs here because the hype there is so far off the charts, it's not worth talking about right now. But um, I'm talking about, an act, in effect, an active system of record. You want to call it a CDP out there? Feel free. Um, the idea, though, is that the data, the data is flowing in, the customer is moving, Right is acting, and you literally have to begin to both analyze that data and come out with that personalized interaction and communicate with the customer as all of that is actually occurring live. Right now, is anyone perfectly there yet? No. Are people evolving to that? Yes, absolutely. There's technologies and additional layers of technology out there that are being created to actually handle that. In the, in, there's platform layers that are being created to handle that. There are specific solution sets there are let's say um app you know app level additions so among them you know like the apis and, and uh, there are a million different ways that companies are actually approaching this but uh but ultimately they lead to the same thing which is separating all the signal from the noise right uh and then at the same time personalizing the interactions with the customers or the prospects or the people you're just connecting to for the first time uh and all in all accomplishing what you need to, but live and in real time, as close to real time as you can, right? So that, that, those technologies are not only 
let's call it necessary for evolution, but are actually being evolved as we speak. I've seen multiple examples across the industry of approaches and different ways to do them. The other area which has become increasingly important in terms of technology that we have to specifically look at is on the, it really is on the customer service side. And it, it basically takes sort of two forms now. One of them is really, I wouldn't call it technically customer services, success management technologies, which are increasingly being used throughout the industry because it's necessary to understand how to measure against customer success without constantly upselling and cross-selling to your customers being the only measurement you have, right? Which is a ridiculous measurement when you're trying to actually, you know, help customers be successful. It doesn't mean help you sell more, right? It, <laughs> right. It, right? it doesn't mean I sold more, therefore they are successful. No, that doesn't work. So that's why actually on another level, if I'm being strategic, when I talk about customer success teams to and metrics to like clients, I say, just make sure of one thing that's not there, which is a revenue metric. People are demanding them more quickly. The other is, and this is equally as important, is it can't be in the realm of just developers anymore, right? It has to be in the realm of business users, and they have to be able to be able to put together, I'll call them solutions, which is usually with a business user probably stretching the definition because they're not really are they really aren't developers, right? So, uh, but they do need to come up with some capabilities for them, for their, them, their teams, their department, whatever that they need to accomplish what they need again, because time is so short and competition is so broad and fierce and all of these things. So low code, no code becomes the, the means to both, right? Get it up fast and get it out from a business, get a business user to do it, right? I mean, those two alone make all the value in the world. And there's so many other, there's a lot, obviously a ton of value with developers and the like, and you know, you're, you know, I, I, I still remember one thing that used to always impress me about coming to Creatio or BPM Online events was you did this thing at lunch, where somebody would take Studio, which is a low code, no code platform, and the, over lunch they would build an application, and then that, and it was literally they would just they had two or three people doing that, and they come back with two or three applications that they show on stage, and you know, lunch was like a little short, but it was like half hour, <laughs> right? Right. So, uh, and half hour later, there'd be three reasonably good applications that are being shown on a stage. And that was in the earlier days of studio. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. Low code, no code is actually, and look, you guys were early adapters, but meaning one of the first to market using it, a lot, a lot of companies have picked up on that now and uh, companies that you wouldn't even expect, but they have because they understand it one of the ways to go. And in crisis times, again, the ability to do things effectively and quickly are really, it's really, really important and mission critical, really. And so that's another area, I think, that on the technology side that has, let's say, taken on, it, it hasn't really evolved like this huge magnitude. It's, of course, right. it's evolved as it goes along, but, but it's taken on a massive increase in importance. So, Paul, I, I, that's interesting that you talk about that because I was going to ask you next. You know, what what should we expect personally from from Paul? You know, in 2021 and and on different topics. And I wonder if low code, no code makes the list. Are, are there uh, interesting research pieces or initiatives that you'll be making in 2021? Maybe we can break some news on a new book uh, or anything like that. I'll hear some breaking news. I'm never writing another business book ever. <laughs> okay. I wrote uh, any, my any other research or initiatives. Yeah, I. 
Well, look, I, I have a lot of initiatives going. Like, for example, um, uh, one of the ones that I find very important is the evolution of e-commerce. And I'm beginning to look into that on a much more serious way. So, for example, I, I am, and you'll see more and more coming out of me pretty soon. Uh, I am on a tear to convince the world that you can't treat transactions as separate from interactions, which is how it's treated. There's transactions. Remember, you always hear this transactional data, and then you have this interactional, meaning social and other data. Mm. Now, transactions are a subset of interaction, and that's how it has to be seen, especially with the rise in importance of e-commerce. Because uh, if you're not thinking that way, you're missing a major opportunity to understand who your customer is and what they're doing. And that means on a different level, you'll see me talking and writing more, and I think most companies are missing this, on getting even beyond, because you know my focus last several years has been customer engagement. But you'll be seeing more on employee customer engagement. You'll be seeing more from me on journey orchestration and, and uh, things like that, because I think a lot of companies claim to have it and don't do it. Uh, they just have journey building, which is not journey orchestration, that's graphic workflow. Uh, you know, so journey tracking and how that actually works. And you'll see more on that because a lot, all of this involves how people are interacting with other people. You'll see on a, on another level, I'm looking at, and this is a, I'll call it a side level, um, the rise of the citizen celebrity and the celebrity of citizen. Right. And well, you know, yeah, elaborate journey. on that, if you will. We'll so here, and this, this is one thing the pandemic accelerated massively. So rise of citizen celebrity. That's an easy one, really. Um, there are kids, let's say. Well, here, I'm good again. There's this dad and his daughter. And the dad's name is Matt Shaw. And the daughter's name is Savannah Shaw. Daughter's 15, dad's 40s, maybe. Pretty well, but not wealthy. Both of them have fantastic singing voices. I mean, really mm -hmm. genuinely fantastic singing voices. So they did a, uh, a rendition months ago of the prayer, you know, Josh Groban, that, that right. Andrea Bocelli, that, that prayer. Uh, and they got like 10 million views or something like that immediately. Wow. Well, what's happened though, they've developed almost a franchise. So what's grown up around them, for example, is a community and the community uh, around them actually produces their videos online now. In addition to that, um, they um, they have a record, right? They just released, they have a, I don't know who the label is, but they have a label, they have a record. They've been on Good Morning America, et cetera, et cetera. Citizen Celebrity, right? The ride, mm. they, they no have a clue who they were if it weren't for the fact we were locked down during a pandemic, right? But there's a lot of that going on out there. And, and actually, the more you dig, the more you find. And then when I say find, it's just that you haven't found them, but 10 million other people have. Right. There's a 15-year-old Irish singer. They call the uh, people who sing on the street and buskers. Mm -hmm. And Ireland has like a very big tradition of that. Uh, so in Dublin, there's a street corner in Dublin. All of these people go and sing. And there's one girl, I think she's probably 15. Her name is Allie um, Sherlock. And when she was 12, she was on Ellen and things like that. But I, she has, she's, a, she's got a good voice. It's kind of a 
bluesy kind of voice. Uh, so like half of what she sings is really good and half isn't. But she's got, every time I look, she gets another 100,000 followers. She has 3.8 million followers, right? And that's what I'm saying. But these are the, that's the rise of the citizen celebrity. Now you have the celebrity as citizen. And this is an interesting study in the do's and don'ts. Okay. So when this all started, I don't know how many of you remember this, but there was a show that, um, that um, was done by, oh God, I'm, I'm blocking his name right now. John, um, the guy from The Office. Um, hold on. The uh, British or the American? Steve Carell? The American. No, no. Uh, John Krasinski. Oh, yes. John Krasinski. I, I couldn't believe it. I could not forget his name. So he did this show called SGN. It was called, that means Some Good News. And the entire show was John and uh, his wife is, um, what's her name? Emily Blunt, Emily, I think. Emily Blunt, yes. Yeah. Emily Blunt. It was mostly him, but she would pop in every now and then. You know, she's very funny, too, and he's very funny. So the two of them were, it was a good-humored show. And what he would do is two things, good news, and he would hook citizens to celebrities. So, for example, he went to the frontline workers in, I think, Brockton, Massachusetts, or something like that, or from a, a, a hospital there. And he literally, in the midst of the crisis, and they were, they're all, of course, sadly, because I'm a Yankees fan, Red Sox fan. Um, and so is he, which is also sad. But, uh, but that notwithstanding, he bussed them all, socially distanced on the bus, to Fenway Park. And they were all masked. And then on those giant jumbotrons, first the governor of Massachusetts thanked them for their work, then the mayor of Boston, and then the entire Red Sox team one after another, including Big Poppy, who was no longer part of it, thanked them. And then they had a guy at home plate, and each of them got to throw a first pitch from oh, the wow. mound to home plate. It was fantastic. And he, when proms were being canceled over the, all over the world, he held a virtual prom, and John Legend sang, and I mean, it was like that, right? And it was great. It was a fantastic show. It ran eight episodes. And he was connecting to just ordinary people doing wonderful or ordinary things just to make them happy. This little girl had her tickets to Hamilton canceled. He got the original cast of Hamilton to sing to her, including Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? I mean, right. yeah, that kind of pull. But, but here's the lesson. And this is why I'm studying these things, because they're actually very important in terms of identifying how people are thinking in times of crisis and after and how marketing that's going to have to work too. Um, so he stops the show after eight episodes. And then about two weeks later, start reading, the show was sold to CBS and he's not even going to be part of it. Uh. Just sold it. And he, yeah, well, you destroy all your credibility in the space of one thing, right? I mean, look, I don't doubt his good intent. I really don't. He's a good guy. But doing that was just beyond crass. He doesn't need money. It's like the guy needs, why not just do something for good and leave it there, right? And, and, but he couldn't do it. He didn't do it. And so, but that's, again, celebrity is citizen, citizen celebrity, right? So that's another area of research. I have a million others, but I won't get into it now. It should take well beyond. Well, well that actually is the, one of the questions, though, that, that uh, folks were interested in me asking you, though, is, is along those lines of additional research that is towards subjects relevant to 2020, the pandemic. Uh, feel free to, to elaborate on any other research that you're well, doing. Well, the other one subjects. I'm doing a lot of research, which I'm actually bringing into my advisory work, is um, virtual events and how to do them right. And well, you guys, I will tell you one thing about Creatio historically is you are 
literally a paradigm on how a company that's not the size of an Oracle or an SAP pulls off amazing events and really with substantial audiences. Um, I mean, genuinely stand, but it also shows the pull you have and also your willingness to be creative in how you approach them. If you approach one thing that, for example, in virtual events mm -hmm. that you do very well, and this is something that I do advise customers on it, you approach them with good humor. You do. You you approach them with in a ineffectively in, in a good mood, right? And and consequently, you'll do some things that others will not. Most other people in the tech world yeah. think that when you do an event, it has to be specifically. It's either specifically to the tech, or it's completely separate from it. So you have tech discussions, hundreds of them, and then a day of mindfulness. But, but <laughs> right, you guys, to your strength, is all of that's fully integrated, both of them are fully integrated mm -hmm. throughout the whole thing. It's never, there's no bifurcation, right? So, you know, you have Catherine on the stage and she is a much better speaker than she thinks she is. Um, she's a tremendous speaker and she radiates that kind of, you know, goodwill to everybody. And then you, when we were in Miami, um, but a year ago, uh, you had that guy who he seemed to be the fitness guru in the early morning radio show in Miami. And I mean, I don't care about that particularly, but he was a good guy and he was different. And he, you had, I think it was Chris Parry, who was what, an admiral? And I mean, the guy is like mind blowingly good at what he does. And who would think to bring an ex admiral and, you know, master academician onto an event? You guys would. <laughs> and, and the guy is, utterly fantastic right so that's what i'm saying that's how you thought that kind of creativity is really important especially in a virtual event because the distraction level is massive another little thing that comes up when you're doing virtual events um if you're doing tracks I, and i'm i don't know i may be cutting your throat when i say this because i have no idea how long your, <laughs> yours are make them 10 15 20 minutes no more and again i don't know how long yours are why distraction Distraction, distraction. People are distracted constantly. So you keep it within their range of distraction, right? Like sure. um, one company did, everyone was 10 minutes, except one I did, which was 11, right? Um, <laughs> well, that's tip. I always go over. I, yep. you know, I kept my record intact, right? So, uh, but another thing, immersive and interactive is really, really important. Uh, so one of the things that that leads to, that has led to, is a uh, review of uh, event platforms, right? And the one that honestly I'm finding to be so far the best is one called Intrada, right? Um, fantastic platform. I've seen four companies use them recently. And coincidentally, I happen to know a senior executive from there who literally just left a week ago. Um, I had no idea because they had changed the name to Intrada. I had no idea they were the same company. Uh, so um, that platform, I, look, I haven't talked to anyone at Intrado, but I've looked into the platform deeply. It's fantastic. And why? It encourages interactivity. It's visually interesting. You can, it's very flexible in design. You can run an event over a long period of time without losing the thread. It, it's, it's a very uh, connectivity efficient, um, you know, and yet the graphics are still, let's call it higher bar, you know, still really nice, attractive graphics. That's another one. Another area to go to, depend on the company, is immersive. 
right? Because there's a, a guy, a CTO of another tech company who said on CRM players one time, because I've always made the point we ha- in the pre-COVID world, we have to be, all companies have to be more theatrical than they are, right? In the, in the tech world, the, the bar has been set that way and you have to have theater, just to, you have to. Uh, it's not, and there's no shame in that. It's a good thing. But when people are at your conference and they leave your conference a year later, even if they don't remember the theme, it's in their head. They said, I don't remember what it was about, but really had a good time. Right. And mm-hmm. that's, that's actually important. Why? Because it's how your company is painted in their head. Right. right. And that's the emotional state, right. Matters. So I look at those things. So this one guy, we were, he was on the show, a CTO of another tech company. And we weren't even talking about it. He said, well, in this time, we have to move from being theatrical to cinematic. And he's absolutely mm. right. Yeah. And well, you know, think of an Adobe yeah. Creative Cloud or something, you know, Photoshop, et cetera. You, uh, just look at the graphics, that kind of stuff produced. There's a company called Immersion Studios or Immersive Studios that did NVIDIA's conference, I believe. And just look at the look at that. Now that's a, those are big stage productions in America. Right. You don't have to have that, but immersion and interaction matters a lot in virtual. So I'm deep. I'm going deep into virtual. Another person I recommend, if you're actually interested in virtual events, is Reed uh, John Reed, who's more on the ERP side of the analyst mm-hmm. world. He's one of the leading. He is the, arguably the leading. He and his um, actually his business colleague Dennis Howlett of Diginomica are probably the two leading ERP analysts in the world. And John has written tons on virtual events that I think is very valuable. But that's an area of research I am digging in deeply and I'm integrating how to do that into my actual um, portfolio of advisory work. That's the stuff when it comes to virtual events, when it comes to live streaming and broadcasting, which companies also need to think about. And when it comes to doing happy hours, which they need to think about to keep the interaction up, and you guys are very good at that because I know I was on one. Um, those are things you have to do. And so I'm making sure I understand pr- approach, procedure, methodology, et cetera, and, and tools that you need to do it at a budget level, at a mid-level, and at a blow the doors up and run, jump, jump straight down the rabbit hole level. <laughs> well, given given your, uh, your your perspective and your attention, uh, we'll be very interested in hearing your feedback at the conclusion. Let me just take an additional moment to, to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us here today. This has been uh, amazing, really, uh, really great, and uh, look forward to further conversations in the future. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful.